remain standing and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. It's Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Acts 13, 1 through 3. And this is what God's Word says. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for this time this morning. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you will help us to uh, listen, to understand, uh, speak to us in a divine way that happens, that's unexplainable uh, uh, to the world when your Holy Spirit uh, speaks through your word. And so we thank you, Lord, for this privilege that's ours. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I went to a baseball game yesterday. And I, I was pulling for the A's. And they had their little green and yellow hats on, and they had their team all there in the dugout. And I saw a young man named Caleb hit a home run and a double and a single and knock some runs in. And it was kind of fun to watch a, a win and watch, uh, watch young kids out there learning how to get in front of the ball when it came and, and, and all of those things. And, and boy, I, I was going to say I saw something funny but it didn't happen. I was going to make something up. But what if I had seen this? And this does happen in the littlest little league games where somebody's on first base and a guy hits the ball. And they, I've seen it happen before. It didn't happen yesterday because Caleb's in the, in the next league up. Uh, but what if, what if Caleb, a guy had run from first base to third base and then run home and just said, you know what, the ball's far enough. I'm, I'm going to skip second base. I'm just going to go to third and go home. What would happen to him in baseball? Uh, at least currently, until they change all the rules of baseball. Um, but currently, what would happen is he would be out. You've got to go to first base, then to second base, then to third base, and then you come home. So you've got to touch the bags, or, 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 or it doesn't apply. So last week, a wonderful week in the life of our church, we met as a congregation, and, and we're voting for these uh, men to become deacons. And I said, now the next step the next step is they will meet as deacons, and we have a deacon board now. And the next step, they will, uh, they will um, elect their deacon chairman. And then, you know, and I was just talking. <laughs> Sometimes you just talk. And so Wednesday morning, we're sitting in our men's group, and Ted goes, okay, so now is there something going on? He says, I'm planning on when to go down to see, my, uh, to see Jeremy and the family down in Philadelphia. And isn't there something? I'm like, oh, Yeah. They're not deacons until they get ordained. Where, where was I? I'm thinking ahead of time. I'm thinking, the ball's been hit. They're going to score. Why touch second? But you touch second, and then you go to third. And so um, it was interesting, interesting to think about this and to say, wow. In my mind, they're already deacons, and so, but listen, this is important. This is wonderful. And we, 
happen to come to a time where there is, it's not ordination. I'll say this in the sermon. This is not ordination, what happens with the laying on of hands. But it is interesting uh, to, to, to read and have in our text the very next passage about a, a setting apart for the Lord's work. And we're going to look at that this morning and what, what was going on here in this text and, and uh, thinking about it in the context of the jobs that God gives all of his people to do in his church. So we'll, we'll pay attention to this and we'll think about this uh, this morning. Uh, there are actually four observations from the text I want us to notice. Uh, the first one, I'll just, I'll just t- tell you what they are. It's a little different. Usually when I finish the sermon for, for our, our brothers and sisters who have English as a second language, I just send the whole thing uh, to, to them. And so they get to follow along and it helps with the English learning and see where I'm going. But it changes a little bit uh, between that time to this time. And so instead of six, there's four. And uh, uh, what they are is this. And here's where we're going in the sermon this morning. One, the beautiful diversity in God's church. Two, worship and work in combination in God's church. Three, universal involvement in the work of God's church. And four, the key player in God's church. One, two, three, four. First of all, the beautiful diversity in God's church. I will never get tired of saying this. The answer to racism, the answer to any... um, separation of people and and people's lording over people, the answer is always and only found in the gospel of Christ. And you see early on that God had assembled, and this is basically the church staff. These are the leaders. These are the people that are leading the the church in Antioch. And and you can only imagine and, and see what the congregation was like as God drew believers to himself. But look at the beautiful diversity in God's church. It was a melting pot. It was wonderful. Racially integrated. Barnabas, a native of Cyprus. A black man named Simeon. Uh, Niger is Latin for black. He was a black man. Uh, You had Lucius from Cyrene. He was probably some kind of a shade in between. He was from North Africa. Uh, You have prior political orientation. You have people coming from a, a philosophy of life that would have been opposites and yet here they were saved uh, in, into the gospel. Uh, it's, this, this part is it's somewhat speculative, but you think about a person named Menaean, who was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. He was on that political side of things. He'd grown up in that household, a lifelong friend, saved to the gospel of Christ. And then you had the rabbi Saul, who was uh, part of the resistance, uh, so to speak, and, and the ones kind of going along with it, but pushing. So you had in this early church among the leadership, racial diversity, political diversity. It's a lot like the ones when Jesus selected his disciples, where you had, uh, I thought about this at least, where you had Matthew the tax gatherer, and you had Simon the zealot. It's like, did he put those two in a group, and, and how did they get along? But when God saves us, he saves us from something. And he puts us together, and we are God's race of people. We even sang it in that song about teaching the generations the races to come. 
And there is a beautiful diversity that we find in the earliest church leadership here in Antioch. Different, but together. And we celebrate diversity when it's diversity in the church, picturing the life that will be lived together in heaven. Yes, we want the world to get along. We want all the people in the world to get along. And we decry uh, the sin of racism when we see it. But all the diversity in the world won't unite people who are facing an eternity in hell. Short-lived, even if you can accomplish it on earth. In heaven, you see the picture of, uh, the the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation about people from every race, tribe, and tongue together worshiping. And as we understand, hell to be the opposite of, of heaven. And there's no parties in hell. There's outer darkness. There is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's a loneliness, and, and nobody's getting together uh, uh, in hell. And what unites people is the gospel of Christ. When the Holy Spirit comes and saves people, and, and, and I love how we've been able to look at this and see this during this time, how Pentecost happened, first of all, for the Jewish people that were gathered there. And then there was a Pentecost, a a falling of the Holy Spirit that happened with the Samaritans. And then you get to Peter and and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. and, and, And the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does and saves. And they say, what can prevent this? This is wonderful. Let's see how God is bringing the races together. It was a fulfillment of the promise in the Old Testament where God said to Abraham, and you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And you get these wonderful passages in Isaiah where flowing uphill, flowing, flowing up the mountain, all these people and, and, and the prediction that God is going to be the uniter of people. Sin happened. Fights between the genders. We've talked about this. Genesis 1, the curse, uh, where, where um, God says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. As a little kid, I thought, well, that's probably supposed to be a good thing, right? Hubba hubba. No, it doesn't mean your desire shall be for your husband in in an attraction way. You want to be the boss, he's going to be the boss, and there's going to be these fights. And what's going to happen? That's part of the curse. Fights, gender wars, race wars, class wars. Fight, fight, fight. Stir up, stir up, stir up. And Jesus comes and brings beauty and unity and harmony among all of the people who are, there's so much that we all have that are like each other, uh, but, but it seems like we take the differences and use those to fight with in our fallen, sinful state. And even here, look at the beautiful diversity in God's church in Antioch, as Luke lists the names. Nothing but unity in heaven. Nothing but solitude and hurt and loneliness in hell. I want to go to heaven with all these wonderful people that God is saving from around the world. I mentioned this man at Presbytery. This was worth driving. I've heard him. They had him up there before, and they had him again. He was a soldier. I believe, he's a, I believe he was Filipino by birth. He was a soldier in Afghanistan. And just coming to the Lord. He was part of the medical unit. He went in as an older man. 
and he talked about what it was like to treat this Afghanistan man's feet. The man had walked for a mile and a half, or not a mile, a day and a half to come and get, get the treatment, and, and the, the soldiers there were helping medically. And he helped treat his wounds, he helped deal with the other issues, and he sent him on his way, and while he was working with him, he thought, I should give this man my running shoes. And then he thought, but if I gave him my running shoes, I wouldn't have running shoes anymore. And I'm stationed out here for a couple more years. And he fixed the man, bowed up his feet, uh, took care of the other issues in his body and sent him on his way and kept his, kept his shoes so he could have something to run with around the base. And that night the Lord woke him up and he felt convicted. And he's got this whole ministry now uh, funneling practical needs and things in to the people in Afghanistan. And he said, uh, the plight of the women there is as bad as everything you've read and heard about. And they've never even celebrated their birthday. He said, so we just took, we had this camp and this, this officer. He said, we just took, took all, these, uh, all these ladies, Christians now, and just went one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 12. And your birthday's in January, your birthday's in February, your birthday's in March. And they had birthday parties. They'd never had a birthday party in their life for them. And just to see the joy on the faces and to see all of those pictures and then to hear the warning as I prayed about and I can't get over this. This man's going to go back in August so he can get in there uh, before the troops pull out in September. But he says, there is no telling what's going to happen, but it's not going to be good for the professing Christians once there is no protection. And you're looking at faces of people who will either verbally deny and then hate themselves for it so they can stay alive for their families, or who will profess Christ and and have all manner of things happen to them before they are killed for their faith. These are your brothers and sisters. And Christians are around the world. It's a global thing. It's not just a white man's religion. It's global. And you look at the diversity and understand when God saves people, he, in his beauty and love and his care for the people he's created, it's all kinds of people. There's no IQ test. If you're too smart, you don't get to come. He did say something about it's harder for a rich man uh, to enter the kingdom of God than to enter the eye of the needle, but that isn't even discrimination against the rich. Can God put a camel through an eye of a needle? I bet if it's God, he can. The disciples said, well, who then can be saved? Well, who can be saved? It's a miracle whenever God saves anyone. And God saved all these people. And this was what the leadership looked like. And this is what their church obviously then looked like. So we see, first of all, the beautiful diversity in God's church. Secondly, look at worship and work in combination in God's church. What were these people doing when they got together? Well, what does it say? Worshiping the Lord and fasting. Verse 3, it talks about them praying. They were worshiping. And God says, I love the worship of my people. We gave a gift to the Lord. You sang. God received it. He was pleased. 
one of the pastors uh, that we meet with, and we meet, there's four of us, fifth one that sometimes comes, but four of us are there. And uh, one pastor says, I've got some suggestions for this group. And I thought, oh, no, I don't think any of these are singers. If he's going to have us sing, we can do this. But I wonder if that won't be a distraction if they hear me. I had a girl in youth group one time turn around to me, and, and she was brutally honest. She was an honest girl. She turned around to me, and she goes, you sing in a straight line. <laughs> I said, I know I do, <laughs> but, I, but I sing. Um, but uh, they were singing. They were worshiping. When you sang, you were pleasing to the Lord. You offered him a sacrifice, and God received that. We are, we are saying, worship God. Worship him with all of the aspects of worship that we do. But God says, in addition to worship, I've got some work for you to do too. Worship and work in the life of a Christian. Worship and work in the life of a church. Go together. It's commanded by God. He's got worship that we bring him as an offering. He's got work that we bring him as an offering. And I read about this this morning, or this week, uh, one man wrote, work for the Lord without worshiping God leads to legalism. It leads to holier-than-thouism. Look at all the work I'm doing for God. Look what I'm doing for God. Uh, boy, work without worship, man, that's people setting up little kingdoms and little getting their picture on cover of, of church growth magazines and things like that. That's not... That, that can be dangerous. Work for the Lord without worshiping God. Eventually, because we all worship something, even if we're working for the Lord, we end up worshiping our ministries or ourselves or worshiping somebody who else we think is doing a great work. We want to be like them. Um, that's dangerous. Work for the Lord without worshiping the Lord. Worship of the Lord without working, though, is simply not possible. You can't help, but if you're worshiping the Lord, if your heart is for the Lord, and if you're worshiping on a, on a, in church together as a congregation and then fulfilling the Lord's commands and worshiping throughout the, the day as you, uh, as you live, live lives, it's not possible to worship God truly without... Uh, there being some expression of, of, of loving God and wanting this God to be known, proclaiming his name. Uh, you can't worship him and, and, and have encounter the great commission, for instance, or uh, the great commandments and not do some kind of an expression of, of, of working for the Lord. Someone I read this week said, if we worship and never work, we'll end up with a form of godliness, but no power. And here we see this beautiful diversity in God's church, and we see the work and the worship combined in God's church. God says, I've got some work, and I've got some special, specific work for these two. They were in the context of worship when God presented them with clarity on some work. And they didn't say, hey, wait a minute, we don't want to do any work, we just want to worship. They would have remembered Jesus saying things, and here's a Jesus Quote, uh, it's in the Bible, so it's all true. It's not just because Jesus said it, but it's in God's word as it is recorded. Uh, but Jesus said, the work, or the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. A few weeks in our sermon series as we go through Acts, we will see Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi. They'll be working for the Lord, and in the context of that work, worship will break out. Worship and work are tied together in the Scripture. We see it here in this passage, hand in hand. But here's what we need to see, and this is where where we have to be careful that we don't fall back on that uh, on that sin of, of of pride and and selfishness and 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 look at me with comparisons. I'm so thankful I didn't hear a whole lot of that, and I, I don't hear that at Presbytery. Um, What's going on in your church? How many people? You know what? You know, and I don't hear a lot of bragging. I, I, I hear some some more humility, which is good. But understand that in this mission of this church, they were all involved in the work. The universal involvement. They were all involved. Paul and Silas. God said, "I've got some special work for them." But think about the whole church laying hands on them, praying for them. It was the whole church's work. Laying on of hands isn't the same as what we're going to do, elders with deacons. They weren't being officially ordained here. But the prayer that they had, their laying on of hands, said we are all in this together. It was a symbolic. It was, this is all of our work. You too, the Holy Spirit says, do this. But we're all part of this. No competing ministries. Not ministry ranked in some dumb human order of effectiveness. Never forget the story that Paula told me did that happened down at, at uh, the college. I guess it was after I left, but uh, they were all all the, the students are there. Man, they've had a hard week. They're doing the Lord's work. They're studying for their careers. They're doing the Lord's work. They're they're cleaning their rooms. They're doing room jobs. Some of them might have some other ministry. And some guy walks in and he he turns the lights on and off. And all the students are there playing Donkey Kong or Pac Man on those old fashioned tables or doing whatever. Gets everybody's attention. He says, "I just want you to know that while you guys were in here sitting around entertaining yourselves, we led three people to the Lord." It's like, well, I know a Bible verse that says you have your reward here on earth, man. You don't get any reward in heaven for that. (laughs) My brother was at a little Christian college, uh, now closed down, down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And they'd had a chapel message, and the guy was talking about the various, he he had a theology, I, I don't even know if it was biblical or not biblical, I wasn't there, but he talked about five crowns in heaven, and and you'll get this crown and these crowns and this crown. And my brother was in line, the lunch line, and some guy was trying to impress some girl with his spirituality. And he goes, so far I've earned every crown except the martyr's crown. And my brother said, I wanted to turn around and go, boom, there's your martyr's crown. Um, it's not that. We're not in competition. We're not in competition. There's a comic strip called Coffee with Jesus, and I like it a lot. And uh, some woman said, hey, Jesus, who's your favorite Christian singer? He goes, oh, she's a woman working the rice paddies over in Thailand. When she sings as she works, her words are so beautiful. And I imagine that that comic strip writer got that 
from a true story that happened where a reporter said to Edith Schaefer, Francis Schaefer's wife, said, uh, who is the greatest Christian woman alive today? Ask Edith Schaefer that with a room full of reporters talking about Christianity. Who is the greatest Christian woman alive today? And Edith Schaefer said, we don't know her name. She's dying of cancer somewhere in a hospital in India. And you think there's no room for celebrityism in Christianity. And Paul and Barnabas weren't celebrities. They were just the ones that God had to do that work at that time. But everybody was involved. And even the praying, even the laying on of hands was the whole church involved. I had a daughter that was in the hospital at a point in time a few years ago. While I was there, my dad called and said, your grandma died, and one of her last requests was for you to come back and preach her funeral. And it was a gray, rainy, cold day driving back. It was November, late, late November, early December. It was bad, and just the heaviness of all of that. And I had the radio on. It wasn't, Chris, it was, wasn't Christian radio. It was the radio. And it was uh, that song by the Beatles came on. Uh, let it be. And Paul McCartney's thinking about his mother. And he wrote about her. And he finds himself in time of trouble. And he, based on a true story, he says, and, and, and the words are just, let it be. There'll be an answer. And me as a Christian listening to that song, I, I put a spiritual understanding that God's in charge of this. But I pulled the car over and, and, and cried like I hadn't cried in a long time. That was like the heart, one of the hardest days. So I've had a very charmed life because I know a lot of you have had a lot of harder days. That was my hardest day till that point. And I came, and I had to fly out to preach Grandma's funeral, and there were all these weights. Uh, wasn't going so great here at Christ the Shepherd in those days. Most of you weren't here, if any of you were here. Um, and I came to the Brazilian church that night. And I would come on Sunday nights. It's when you met on nights, and Tito led... And it was, it was before Giuliano, it was Pastor, um, uh, what was his name? Uh, that pastor. Yeah, I loved him. And he, I told him a little of what was going on in my life, and I told him I was flying to do Grandma's funeral. And he did something in that church, and he announced that to the congregation. And all of the people from Christian Community Church, he said, we can't all lay hands on Pastor Dave but he said, I want you to turn, and I'd never seen this done before, extend your hands to him. And I was sitting right about back there where Gordon is. And all these people lovingly turning and extending their hands to me as if laying hands on me for that mission and saying, we are with you. We are with you in your grief. We are with you in this mission to go declare the gospel at your grandma's funeral to, to unsaved relatives, and we are with you. And that was something I'd never seen done in a church, but it was one of the most biblical things that you could ever see based on this passage. And there was a unity, and there was something that drew together. Understand, one role is not better than the other in the things God lets us do for his kingdom. Probably if you measured them, for all you know, the smile you gave to that checkout 
girl. And that prayer you prayed for her as you walked out the door is just as significant as that dude that started some big ministry and planted all these churches. This isn't in the notes, but I'll tell you what happened to my daughter Sarah one time. It's her first night on her own at the register at the shop rider, stop and shop, whichever one's out there in New Milford. Expensive one, then lots of lots of money for that. She was working that register. It's her first night on her own. She'd had a week's worth of training. But now she's on her own. And someone came through, and I don't know if she rang, Sarah rang something twice, or she did something, and it wasn't right. And this woman said, you stupid girl. She said, how can we expect, you know, and she made her feel so small. And this is her first night. And Sarah's hurting over it. And maybe 15 or 20 minutes later, this little old lady came through. And she said, oh. She said, you're such a nice girl. She said, your name's Sarah? My name's Sarah, too. She said, I see you spelled like in the Bible, like the Bible, Sarah. And, and my daughter said, I don't know if that was an angel or not. But what that did for me, just worlds for my confidence and for my life, um, that act of kindness in God's name, even drawing a little reference to the Bible, even just somehow trying to, to be Christian in a world of anger and hurt, that's our mission, and we all get to do things like that. One is not better than the other. And these movements and these people that try to set up little kingdoms to set up a kingdom to be remembered in church history, uh, I don't know that God's that impressed, honestly. I don't know God. That, that's between them and God. Let me say it that way, because I don't want to just ram any kind of success. But to say, let's start a movement. What I've seen, in, in, in even as God does movements that start, it's not by the people who say, let's start a movement. It's God starting a movement by people being faithful to him and God fanning those flames. It's God's work. And we all equally get to do God's work. Is there a hall of fame in heaven? When you get to go to heaven, and <laughs> got my tickets to the hall of fame, heaven's hall of fame. Here's the whatever, here's this, here's that, here's these people, here's the, here's the Bible. You know, Donald J. Gray Barnhouse preached off of this pulpit. Uh, will it be in heaven? <laughs> well, I've probably reversed, uh, reversed that curse in the wrong way. It won't be there now. Uh, but here's the thing. In heaven, there's no hall of fame. There's the worship of the Lamb of God who saved us and equipped us and called us and allowed us to do his work. God doesn't have a cybermetric chart on you. God doesn't see you as a unit that he can get some work out of. Churches a lot of times will, uh, I've heard it described that sometimes churches, if we're not careful, we take somebody, we do what the old Pony Express did with the horses. You ride that horse till it's dead, throw that carcass in the ditch and hop on the next horse that you can get all the work out of. That's not the church. That's not God's way of the church. If churches do that, they're sinning. If they fan the flames, we have our callings. We have our things we get to do. And 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 doesn't have to be official. Doesn't have to be seen. Read Michael Horton's book, Ordinary, and, and see what that has to say about being. I, I talked to this pastor, the Rhode Island guy. I, I, I like him a lot. 
we were talking about this and just talking about what it means to, to fly under the radar. He said, he saw a phrase the other day. It said, serve God, die, be forgotten. I said, that's, that's the best motto. Serve God, die, and don't try and leave your stinking legacy and make your mark and do your thing. You live for God. What God chooses to do with you living for God is God's business, and you want him to do good. God could do anything without you or with you. Saul's conversion, remember we talked about that. It wasn't somebody led him to the Lord. God spoke in a voice, knocked him down to the ground, spoke to him in a voice only he could hear and say to him. Could God not do that with every single person God wants to save? Yes, God lets us, though, be part of, 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 of what he's doing on earth. And so we work, but not as if we're the indispensable ones. MacArthur used to talk about, uh, he got some letter sometime, and a woman said, I'm just praying for Bob Hope, because I know if God saves Bob Hope, he has such a big megaphone that a lot of people will get saved if Bob Hope gets saved. And it's like, well, if Bob Hope's not, you want him to for Bob Hope's sake, but God can do what God can do, and God will do what God will do. We work together, and there's not, there's not a... A superior, there's not a class of people. No rising stars with a lot of potential in God's kingdom. God has sons and daughters. God has sons and daughters. And he loves us. And he lets us be part of his work. Finally, then, it just leads to this, it flows... I said there is a key player in the church. And there is a key player in this passage. Uh, There's a vital, indispensable one in this section of Scripture. And it's throughout the book of Acts. And that would be the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit in God's church. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. The Holy Spirit works and moves uh, in his church and does his work. Temptation is to build an earthly kingdom. Usually it doesn't work out the way it was planned. Our Christian celebrities, uh, even recently, the one dies who we, a million people watched his funeral. People spoke. And then he's like, oh man, that was all going on at that time? Internal call, external call. Holy Spirit calls. Holy Spirit has a specific work for you. It might be, Read the Bible stories to your kids. That's God's work for you. Do that work. What an important work. And how might this understanding of the Holy Spirit calling to do the work affected Paul during the hard times? Uh, we need, to, we need to, to move toward a conclusion, and we're going to have our, our laying on of hands of, of, of these that, that God has called to be our deacons. So as we uh, apply this and, and think about this in terms of our lives, our very significant, important lives that are so ordinary to so many people, looking from the outside in, that are so wonderful because we're walking with God. As we look at that, let's just uh, let's wrap this up. You are who you are because God wanted you to be exactly who you are. You've got green eyes. God wanted you to have green eyes. You're a man. 
God wanted you to be a man. If you're a woman, God wanted you to be a woman. If you were born uh, in Nebraska like I was, God wanted me to be born in Nebraska. Wanted me to have my circumstances. Wanted you to have your circumstances. You are who you are because God wanted you to be who you are. And who you are then is beautiful and wonderful. Your gift mix, your personality, your way of seeing things. And as he slaps us all together, some people see things differently. And as a Christian unit, then we work together. That's the beauty of having a, a plurality of elders and not just one person trying to, to, to try and figure it all out because one person's fallible and a group can help each other if they're all praying to the Lord. And, and, and that's, that's why we have a plurality of officers. Here's what I'm saying, though. He saved you exactly as you are. Your sin's forgiven. Your personality, your physical appearance, your gift mix, your human relationships are all intact, though they are certainly affected by your salvation. Paul got saved, and Paul was still Paul. He had the same amount of pigmentation in his skin, uh, post-Christian as pre-Christian. He had the same physical ailment, which we think was blindness, but he had an ailment that was the same. He had the same hard-charging personality, that same Paul personality that God gave him from a little kid. I bet he was tough to compete with or would have been on a playground. He wanted to win, kill those Christians, and save those pagans. And his personality was, was, was altered and shaped as he became more Christ-like, but that, that innate person of who he was, was was who God made him. Who you are is who God made you, and you are wonderful because God doesn't make his mistakes. He was forgiven. He was serving the king of kings now and not the world system. But Paul was the same. thought about a little fellow in Ukraine I saw uh, when I did the orphanage tour a few years ago. And that was the Italian couple that was going to adopt him. And they had all the papers and they were going to come back and, and adopt him. And they were teaching him, I think Chow is, is, it's not just Portuguese, I think that's Italian for goodbye to Chow. They were teaching this little guy. This little guy was waving and saying, you know what? They came and adopted him later on, I assume, because they were planning to. He'd been given to them, and it was just paperwork, and it was a couple weeks. That little guy, three years old or so, was the same little guy, but the family he lived in then was different than had I adopted him. Whatever He, he probably likes Italian food, or doesn't, but he probably does. Uh, he Life in Italy, he, he grew up. Uh, not with baseball, but he'll grow up with soccer. Um, the family he lives in, but that person is the same person. You are saved. You are adopted into God's family. And as God has brought you into his family and you read the word and you understand family rules, there's a way you live and there's a way your personality is shaped. There's a way you respond to, to various things. Uh, but you are you. And God wanted you to be you. You are unique and you are made in the image of God. Celebrate that. You're in God's family. And part of you, who you are, is the life God has ordained for you. With your husband or wife, if that's what you have. With your kids, if that's what you have. In your neighborhood, in your career, in your place in the church where God has placed you. And you are one with the others, and you are valuable because God has saved you and made you valuable. One of you... Um, has us praying with you as you present the good news of salvation to a, a non-saved relative. Hey, we all get to do that work. That's God's work, and you're doing it, but we're doing it with you. 
when we pray with you and for you, when we give the encouragement, continuing to talk about God and we learn about God together and we pray together and we walk and live these lives together. That's an echo of what's happening in Acts 13. Understand those things and understand that the Holy Spirit is as active today as he was back then. He's saving, he's keeping, he's leading, he's encouraging. And we have the common denominator. And the thing that we have as Christians in common, uh, we have other things that maybe we just have natural affinities for or whatever, but we have one common denominator. You break us down to the one primary thing, and what is that primary thing? It is that our sins were mingled and mixed together there on the cross when Jesus was paying the price to save us. And that's our common denominator. And from that, we can love, we can forgive, we can grow, we can work together, and we don't worry about who gets uh, accolades. We don't give stinking accolades. We don't give those. We just say, look at what God's doing. Thank you, God. And we love our God all the way to heaven as God's family. And we join all these other people from all these other races and and circumstances and times and eras. So, I guess if I could say one thing that you take from this passage in this sermon, love the fact that you've been placed in the body of Christ and love the fact that God didn't just save you by grace. He saved you, and this is Ephesians 2.10. He saved you with good things to do together for his glory in the body of Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll have our, our, our ordination of our deacons. Lord, thank you so much for salvation through Christ. Thank you for the way that you have not only loved us to save us, and that we're not just some unit or some statistic, but we're people, and you know us. You remember our frame, and you saved us. And we thank you for the salvation, and thank you for the church that is a group of people together. Thank you that we don't live solo Christian lives, but we live life in community. We thank you for the churches you've set up and and continue to set up, and we thank you that we get to be part of your church. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'd like